0: fearless 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 presence i don't know anyone more fearless than my guest today this is somebody who really embodies fearless presence at a level that that isn't even demanded of most of us She's a dancer, choreographer, and joyful spirit, uh, and an activist also. And one day, a series of decisions led to an injury that transformed her ability to move. And since then, she's been on a mission to open the door to feelings and emotions and movement in new ways. Her award-winning documentary Move Me is a must-see. It will move you. Welcome Kelsey Peterson.
1: Oh, I love that
0: intro. Thank you. <laughs> you're <laughs> welcome. It's so good to see you. It's been a while. We you know, you're certainly for all the Uh, delightful transformations I've been able to help some people with. You're the one that I so wanted to really uh, create something amazing with. And it's, uh, and your, you know, your situation is challenging.
1: Yeah. It has different layers of challenges for sure. And they unfold, they've, they have unfolded a lot throughout the years and, and they still do. I mean, it's just, it's just a different kind of unfolding than, uh, my able-bodied life, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. can you give everybody a little background on sort of what your, uh, your life transformation and challenge has been?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm Kelsey. Um, and I was a dancer and a yoga teacher and a very like independent and active person my whole life, Um, an adventurous, I would say. Um, I kind of always loved, like, the challenge of um, seeing, like, what would happen if I went down this path and how I could improvise my way through it and out of, like, any tricky situations. And I ended up in a really big, tricky situation when I dove into... Lake Superior when I was 27. Um, so it was 10 years ago, uh, this 4th of July, actually. Um, I dove into three feet of water and I broke my neck in three places. So I broke C5, 6, and 7 and was instantly paralyzed from the chest down with limited arm function and no hand function. Um, so my life changed very quickly and very dramatically um and so the last 10 years have really been this really you know profound journey of adaptation and um healing and growth and self-love and finding community and all different sorts of ways to become the person that I am now and that I want to be and that I want to keep growing into, you know.
0: And really, I know you, you said you were a dancer, but really you, you still dance in some ways. You are a dancer. That's true. I am still a dancer, (laughs) Um, but (laughs) I
1: was before too. And that was like, you know, that's been my identity for pretty much my
0: whole life. Yeah. Well, and I love, you know, when I was really uh, when I was thinking about, uh, well, I'll say Kelsey's got this amazing documentary about her story that we're going to get into a a little bit more. But when I was thinking about like your old story and your new story, that your, um, because you're, it's very easy to say that your able-bodied life was your old story and your spinal cord injured life is your new story, but I really like the documentary really left me with like, Oh, their spinal cord injury is your old story. And there's this whole new story that's coming <laughs> oh, oh through that's evolving. And I really, it was so powerful. I loved the part where uh, you were in the doctor's office and the nurse was asking you about your injury and you said you didn't want to rehash it. And I think that's such an important uh, medicine reinforces people's stories in ways that don't always serve them. And I thought that was such a beautiful moment of claiming your own power and so I would love to mm-hmm. just to hear a little bit more about um you know like about that decision and you know as you because yeah. I'm sure that that story like you know people want to hear that story because yeah. you're in a wheelchair that that is something that's asked of you often
1: oh yeah for sure like my experience and my trauma um and my sort of, you know, obvious difference, so, you know, is very much out in the open, it's visible. And so for that reason, it's very much, you know, um, for the taking as far as people's curiosity, if they want to cross that boundary. And um, it's so important to learn how to like tell people they have to respect that boundary and that I don't want to talk about my trauma with a complete stranger or as a first conversation with someone. Um, well, and even in a medical or, setting. Or that that's especially a st- in a medical setting when it's <laughs> right. like you're in a position of authority kind of already or like power with this white coat in your, you know, medical examination room. And... So it's like, it gives them a sort of permission to ask that question when it's really not pertinent most of the time, you know? Um, and so for me, I've had that boundary crossed by medical professionals a few times and it always feels the yuckiest to me because it's like, you should know better. Like you're in a, you're a professional, you, at least you're supposed to be acting like one and you should know that, this is probably something I don't want to talk about, you know? And it, it is, it really is asking me you to know, like, to relive and rehash a trauma. And th- it's not like I'm going to, you know, go up to someone and be like, hey, do you want to talk about the worst thing that ever happened to you? You know, <laughs> you know it's well, just, absolutely. You and it's probably, fact- it's kind of bizarre. <laughs>
0: right well that's such a beautiful uh I loved it as a a moment of fearless presence and really calling out the medical system for again asking for information that's not really relevant to what you know like it's not like you're acute like you're not in an acute injury situation so it's not
1: right and it's also like this is yes um my disability is a part of who I am but like when people put that first and wanting to know about My experience, it it just isn't, it's not appropriate. Like, it's not a way to get to know someone by digging into something like that that's like, oh, let's talk about what makes you different and why that's the first thing that matters
0: to me. Like, nobody would walk up to anyone and say you know, like, tell me about your sexual assaults or like, you know, like, have you ever been raped? I want to know, you know, or something that was that, you know, like, again, the worst thing that had ever happened. Right, exactly. To them. And Mm -hmm. so I absolutely, uh, so I commend you on having that.
1: It was one of those, like, you know, it's a tricky thing to do because you don't want to, I don't want to shame anyone, you know? I don't want to make an awkward situation for either of us. But I also have to, like, stand up for myself. And, and sometimes you have to be a teacher. And I don't, you know, people with disabilities or people that, anyone really, but especially people who, like, face some sort of um, adversity or, or hardship in their lives are often forced into a position to be a teacher. And it's not necessarily when you want to be. Um, and yeah. so there are moments when I feel like I have the energy to, to take a moment to teach, and there are moments where... It might come off a little more uh, brash or abrasive because I don't have the bandwidth to to be the
0: nice teacher. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and I think that I think it's interesting that you you know, or express some concern there over you know not wanting to shame someone else because certainly the easy thing it would be very easy for somebody else. To hear your story and project shame into, you know, that you're like, that you're just creating you know, because there's, you don't have anything to be ashamed about either that, you know, that you're holding right. that boundary for yourself in that too, okay. and not engaging in an emotion that you don't need to engage in.
1: Right. And it's just an interesting, like, I, I've lived in both worlds, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't born with a disability. I, I acquired it. And so my understanding and my own like internalized ableism and, and all of that is acquired as well. Like I have to, I'm learning about that and it's unfolding. And yeah. so when I, I, I guess like for me, I'm trying as like um, clearly, but w- with as much compassion as I can to, to express how I feel about things that feel ableist or that are inappropriate when it comes to an interaction with an able-bodied person um, who just feel, seems like they don't get it or with accessibility issues. Uh, where It's like, I don't want to make anyone feel bad or worse. I just want people to understand, you know, because it's, it's not to say that, like, you know, 15 years ago, I wasn't completely... But before my injury, I wasn't completely oblivious to a lot of my own ableism, you know, Brilliant. and like my own ignorance when it comes to accessibility or or whatever. And that it really is like one of the I guess like downfalls of being an able-bodied person is you just live in this like bubble of a much easier honestly, a much easier way of existence. Like, life was just a lot easier in a lot of ways before. And so you just start, like, put in a position to think about a lot of things. And so, like, as much as I can, I want to, like, advocate for rights of people with disabilities and for change. Um, But as much as I can do that in a way that feels like love and, like, sharing something instead
0: of being, like... What the fuck? Well, and I'll tell you I mean, even though I have, as a physical therapist, just through my training and, and experience, I had some awareness of where obstacles are in the environment and how incredibly unfriendly so many places are to wheelchairs. I really right, or to any disability right or to any disability right right I really uh I when I broke my foot a few years ago and uh had a plane trip scheduled i got it really ended up in my um you know like I was really struck by how difficult some things were and I have I mean, it was just my, I was on a knee scooter and, you know, like I still had some agility and ability to navigate a lot of things, but it was still, it was, you know, it was much more in my face Mm -hmm. at that point, you know, how Mm -hmm. absurd some things were, uh,
1: yeah, you get a dose, you also know, like, okay, this is going to heal and then I, and go, absolutely right. But you have this, like, you have this little, like, um, keyhole, View into an existence, and hopefully that like, you know, for a lot of people, everybody ends up disabled at some point in their lives with a sprained ankle or whatever it may be. And so hopefully that's an opportunity to learn and and gain some more empathy. Absolutely. And, and yeah. you know advocate for change or help somebody out. Yeah.:
0: Interesting. So I loved in your movie when you said that you didn't uh you didn't care about walking you wanted to dance Mm -hmm. and so tell me a little bit about your like if you were going to write an I want song like how Simba in The Lion King sings that he can't wait to be king and The Little Mermaid wants to be a part of our world. <laughs> What's Kelsey's I Want song? My I Want song?
1: Um, oh, man. I feel like my I Want song has changed a lot over the years. Um, I, when I first started this film, so this film really follows my journey. Becoming disabled. And some you can stream it now on the PBS video app. Um, and it's very much about like these themes of adaptation and how we all inevitably lose things in our lives. And how do we redefine who we are and um, sort of abstract who we are to fit into who we are, you know, who we were to who we are now. Um, And so it follows like my return to dance and um, my struggle with figuring out if I want to do this clinical trial. Um, But when I started making this film, it was a totally different film. It was like five years post-injury and I wanted to drive around the country and see what was happening in terms of a cure for spinal cord injury. I wanted to talk to researchers and I did. I conducted like 80 interviews with People in different areas of the spinal cord injury community, people who had injuries, their friends, their families, researchers, PTs, OTs, you name it. And then we got into the cutting room with our editor and realized that that story wasn't there. And at the same time, my dad got sick. My friend Gabriel, who's also a quadriplegic, asked me about choreographing this show called The Cripple Dance* and dancing with him, which I hadn't done yet post-injury. And Dr. David Darrow came into my world as this possibility to do this electronic stimulation implant, which could bring me more function and sensation. Um, So the film, I really was like, okay, this is an opportunity to pivot and be really vulnerable and share my story and I think make a better film and a more honest film and a more relatable film. Um, so during that process, I really went through a lot of healing, a lot of pain, because I lost my dad. Um, and some, like a, this film was like therapy for me, both for my spinal cord injury and for the grief of losing my father. Um, and I feel like it really put me into a place with my disability where I could like celebrate that more. And I found a deeper sense of community and I found myself as an artist again. And I think I really like, I had shelved before the idea of myself as a dancer and, but I never stopped feeling like one. And so stepping back onto the dance floor so to speak uh i really just had to like abstract my own idea of what a dancer was to me and who i was really as a dancer um and that was pretty powerful you know like i felt my own internalized ableism sort of like working its way through me and out of me through that experience because It was like, oh, I can still be this. I can still hold on to this identity and not have it be so painful because I can live it. I can express it. I can celebrate it.
0: Oh, and the dance in the... uh, I'll just... It's just so incredibly moving in the documentary the way it, uh, it happens. And I'm not somebody that's always super easily moved in that way
1: mm-hmm. and it was
0: really just I, I thought so beautifully done and so profound
1: mm, thank um
0: you. I feel like I still need to answer your I want." yeah go ahead <laughs> okay
1: um so my I want now I think would be well to, to be totally honest I'm in the middle of figuring out scheduling for this electronic stimulation implant, And a big reason that I want to do that is because um, I want a little more independence. I want more strength I want physically. Um, I want my body to be able to heal in some ways that I think this could potentially bring me by bringing me some more function like bowel function, especially a lot more time um, that I think that could give me um,
0: because so, you're about, because that routine is very time because consuming. that routine is
1: time consuming and it's hard on your body and so I am hope I'm hopeful you know I'm trying to go into it with without expectations but obviously I'm hopeful that I can get some change in my bowel function sexual function um because there have been some people that have seen results with the stimulator having an effect on um their sexual function one, one woman regained her ability to have an orgasm and that's i'm a very sexual person still that has not changed and so that's something that would be life-changing and amazing um So I would say I want those things and I, I really just want like to continue to explore my body the way it is now, like whether I get these changes or not, I want to continue seeking health and wellness and self-love and um, enjoying myself as a sensuous living being.
0: What do you think is, like when you talk about hope, tell me a little bit about, or, or I guess I'm curious to know if hope has been a bit of a false idol for you?
1: Yeah, Hope is so complicated, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I ha- yeah, I feel like I have a really interesting relationship with hope. Um, it's, a, it's a dance, you know, It's a balance. False idol with hope. it's just an interesting way to put that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's. I have, I have changed. Like, hope isn't so much as like this thing anymore. That I'm like, I'm not hoping and reaching for this thing far away, high in the sky anymore. I'm. I feel like, which before was like a chair and I'm going to get out of this chair and I'm going to be able-bodied again. And this whole life is going to be behind me, you know? And now I'm like, no, <laughs> that's the whole like idolized hope. I think that yeah. you're talking yes, about, you know, yes, yes, where it doesn't ever really seem reachable or realistic and kind of unhealthy and where you're not like really, I've tried to create, like, a healthier relationship with Hope. that feels more like we're um, connected and kindred and, like, sort of this symbiotic relationship instead of this, like, torturous
0: relationship.
1: Mm. So for me, it's changed more to, like, um, this mindset of, like, all right, I... I'm going to think about these things as my reality and try to manifest them for myself by like seeing them as already being here, right? Um, And But I'm really just going to be like wishing for my like own light and my own like future of brightness and happiness and it doesn't have to be wrapped up in those things if that
0: makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The it does. And you know, knowing you from, you know, for a little while through our chats on Zoom and also through the documentary, I one of the things I was really moved by is your ability to find joy your ability to really uh like because you very clearly have these moments of just you know where you're laughing and you're really in um you know that you're like you're really able to hold your joy in the midst of having a lot of other emotions too
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I I think that like I feel like I kind of grew up that way. I don't know if, I think I kind of just came onto this planet with a sort of spirit that liked to relish in things, you know, and um, I think I am I was also, you know, I, I think part of my upbringing too has made me a little bit more resilient than the average bear. Um, I think I generally have a sunny disposition and so I feel really blessed to have come into this life and this position, you know, and and going through what I went through with that, with my upbringing and with the essence of who I am already um, because it, I think, has made all of the hard things that I've endured um, a little bit easier to manage. Um, I also have an amazing support system, so that's completely invaluable. Um, but yeah, I, and finding joy has definitely like, it's changed, you know, you've, I've had to figure out different ways to find joy you know, because I can't do the things I used a lot of the things I used to do. And if I can, that they're, a lot of them are very different. It's a different approach. And Gabe and I talk about that in the film. Um, he's one of my best friends, and he's a C5 quadriplegic and a beautiful musician. Um, and just a he's brilliant, honestly. Um, And I feel like he and his dad are kind of the Yodas of the film, but he and I talk about how, you know, I'm still seeking the feelings I got from the things that I loved, like what it felt like to dance as an able-bodied person. And I love dancing now, but I still do miss the way it felt to dance like an able-bodied person. I think I get there though, in certain times when the whole world disappears and I'm just, fully present and fully in the moment and like nothing else exists, you know, and you kind of feel like you're flying on fire. It's kind of like that same sort of those emotions I think are he and I, and all of us really are trying to attain. It's like, okay, if I can't be this person and have this experience the way that I, I used to, how can I, how can I have those feelings in different ways? How can I create those emotions and those moments of joy in new ways? So it's like, you're like discovering this whole new version of yourself and how you are going to relate and interact with your world in order to like, in order to feel joy. And it's so important, but it really is this like investigation.
0: Uh, Kelsey, I can't tell you how brilliant I think that is as a, way of life for anyone and as a uh uh you know and role modeling that for everyone
1: that's what i love about this film because i feel like yeah. it's so relatable in that way like i think people can put themselves in my position even though it's something that might be completely new and foreign for them to see but i think there are those moments where you're like oh i can see myself In this person, and I, and I love that because we're all changing throughout our lives. We're always changing, and we're always having to adapt. And I think it's like both our profound privilege and responsibility to be in constant investigation of who we are at any given time of our lives, in order to like maximize our human experience.
0: Yeah, I hope I would love to. I will say we're gonna like. I would love to have more conversations about that piece, or like, and really see you speak on, you know, finding emotions in new ways. Because we do get very, um, I will say, kind of in simple terms. You know, we all feel like when we were right about something, we experience a reward around that. You know, we get a dopamine rush around that, mm-hmm. and we get addicted to being right even, even when it's wrong, you know, or to think that there's rather than thinking like what else is true or how else can I experience this? And we don't necessarily, you know, most, a lot of people don't try very many ways to bring, you know, to experience emotions in different ways or find another path to a good feeling that they had, that they've been unable to Mm -hmm.
1: re-backed
0: with. And so, um, Yes, if you, like everybody listening, you have to watch this documentary, Move Me, just to, uh, it is super powerful medicine for yourself. I would love to hear more from you also about acceptance as a practice.
1: It is such a practice too, you know. Um, I, so I started reading this book, The Body is Not an Apology. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, no. It's amazing. And Sonny Renee Taylor wrote it. And she's a force to be reckoned with. And she's just, she wrote this book about really how to um, not just to accept yourself, but radically love yourself. And that was like this just deeper dive into really moving past like all of these things that we're conditioned to judge our body with, like we're, you know, from the time we're, especially in our culture, we're just so like fed these like gross levels of perfectionism that we're supposed to reach and these like awful body image um, messages that come from everywhere all the time, especially as women. Um, but also as people of color or queer people or people with disabilities um you know we're all like trying to we're all like just pressured under this system and um it's really revealing to start to see like how we can peel back the layers and and investigate like oh why do I think this way why do I feel this way um what are these patterns that I've or these thought patterns that I've developed that are really um, negative and are really getting in the way of me loving who I am and my place on this earth. Um, and it's been like a really rewarding and fascinating process for me to get to know my body again. You know, like I've really had to. I mean, I've done practices where I'm in the shower and I'm, you know, just washing my body and saying, I love you while I do that, you know, because I have felt so separated from her for a long time. Like, especially when you can't feel, it's a very potentially lonely and disconnected experience. And I don't, I mean, I think for any of us, it's really easy to get disconnected from our bodies because like if we're sick or we're injured or we don't like our bodies, we don't like the way they look, we don't like, you know, we're comparing them all the time. There are just so many ways to start to disconnect the head out the spirit from this vessel that we live in. And that's a really complicated way to exist. It's really sad honestly, and really, really hard, and so I think just, like, the more that I've worked to connect to my body again, the more happiness it's brought me, Um, but it's, like, a, it's definitely a daily practice, you know, because especially not being able to move or feel, I'm, I feel like every day I'm having to think about oh, what can I do to interact with this body, feel love for her, you know, like do I take a yoga class in my chair today or a dance class or do I just like rub my legs while I'm, you know, leaning up in bed or take a bath or, you know, put some delicious body oil on or whatever it might be. Um I feel like that's started to be on my radar a lot more instead of like ignoring this and t- keeping away from it because it's uncomfortable or I don't like the way it looks. I'm instead trying to communicate with my body more and embrace it and like give my body and my mind affirmations of love so that I feel like this whole person in existence instead of this like broken being because I'm not, you know.
0: There's so much beauty and wisdom and all of that. And I think what's so powerful there because it would be so easy to say that with your limited movement and not having the sensation, well, what are you getting, you know, or what's the, reasoning or the science behind that. And certainly the, uh, intention, like the research around intention is so incredibly powerful and really having that. I love how you're giving yourself, uh, not just the, the movement, you know, piece of it in, you know, the physical touch, even though you don't process that in the same way that you used to, but, but creating those, like, those are very powerful intentions that you're setting with all of that, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it feels like I'm not just this like floating head, you know, and shoulders. I'm like, I'm actively participating in my physical experience like before was an able-bodied person, you know, there were so many ways throughout the day that I really felt grounded in my body and who I was and like felt the power of my body and, and like my connection to the earth and um, you know, the, the, the like energy that goes through you when you do certain things. And those are so important in. I think like feeding certain chakras and, you know, like feeling grounded and feeling whole and feeling powerful and feeling love. And all, I feel like if there's just so many ways to connect to your body that feed your chakra system and your spiritual system and your energy system. And so it's like, okay, how can I do that in this body you know, even though I can't move 75% of it. So that's been this like awesome and frustrating and fascinating exploration.
0: Well, and so inspiring too for, I'll say personally for myself and I think for able bodied people in general, because that, you know, the first, you know, in any stress, our our first reaction is usually to dissociate with yeah. ourselves. And it's, you know, and that as a. Um, and it could be
1: protective, like some of that could, you know.
0: Absolutely. It, it's great. It's great in an acute situation. It just doesn't, mm-hmm. for most people, work really well. Right. Long term.
1: Right. At some point, you got to come back. <laughs>
0: what I'm hearing is that there's a piece of that. That's also like presence you being present.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, I think a big part of my acceptance has been. Um, and don't get me wrong. There are days where I've like, fuck this. I hate this body, you know, like, <laughs> or moments throughout the day. Um, and you have to like, you know, come back and do whatever it takes to like. F- feel the feels you need to feel. And And hopefully come back into a place that feels better um but yeah i feel like really being present with who i am in this body right now is a a gigantic step toward self-love and acceptance and i think for a lot of people who um especially people with spinal cord injuries who seek a cure and want their bodies back the way they were. And I can't lie that like, that would be cool if that happened. But like, I, I, I think for a lot of people who have endured this injury, they see acceptance as a sort of defeat. You know, like, oh, if I accept this, that means I'm not trying for a cure. That means I'm... I'm somehow failing in my effort to to go back to who I was. And I explained to someone recently that, you know, I spoke at um, the symposium, Unite to Fight Paralysis, and um, this probably newly injured person was probably, a, I think he was a quadriplegic. I didn't see him. We were on the phone, but, he was like, yeah, I feel like if I accept my injury, I'm somehow, um, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm def- letting it win. I'm, you know, I'm, I feel defeated by it. And I don't, I feel like if you're not accepting where you're at, then you're not really, you're letting your injury beat you as a human and your human experience. You know, and you're losing an opportunity to live your life fully for today. Like, we really only have today in all reality. Like, let's be real. Yesterday doesn't exist anymore. And tomorrow isn't here. And as much as I get it and um, I do have some level of hope, it's much more now for me about living in this very present moment.
0: Thank you for that. That's very powerful medicine for everybody in those words. And so you've, uh, and I love how, what powerful medicine this documentary is because, uh, and I'll say, especially in the way that I, uh, now that I envision possibly scaling my work, that you do such a beautiful job in the film of. Taking everybody through this, uh, this incredible journey, and what, like, what do you hope that it? Uh, what is your greatest hope for what that the film will do? The what move me will do in the world.
1: Um, um, i um, a lot of hopes for this film. I hope that. I guess I'll start like macro and go micro. I don't know. I I hope that people I think this film has the potential to bring people a lot of healing. Um for some anyway. Um, and so I hope that in that way it can. I hope that people can see themselves in my experience and um think about how they can adapt in their own lives. So that really is our superpower as human beings. And I think we forget that really easily. I think we get really conditioned to wanna stick to our plans, to make plans, to see them through when life's not that simple, like plans get interrupted all the time, as we all know. We all, Like when everyone endured COVID, including myself, obviously, i was like wow the parallels here are fucking fascinating like watching everyone having to suddenly be forced into an existence of living that they didn't want to and was foreign to them and they didn't know how to navigate it and they couldn't have this anymore and they couldn't have that anymore and they couldn't do this and i was just like oh my god this is crazy Uh to watch because i felt like i had already done so many of these exercises in my own life that it's in a lot of ways made it easier for me to pivot and to like adapt to COVID life um and so I think in that way it's like we really have to surrender to the flow of life and I think a lot of us want to fight the flow and stick to what we thought the path we thought we were taking and it's just not always the best route if we can i think really listen to like what is happening and what are what the universe is you know possibly trying to tell us um we can find a path that could be a much more graceful one (laughs) And could have a lot of beautiful things to find along the way. I mean, it's taken me a while to see the gifts that have come from my injury. Um, But I've had to, like, open my eyes to that and see, like, what my life has and what, this struggle has taught me and what I can do with that, you know, instead of constantly trying to reject it and go back to the way things were, you know, and be like swimming against the current and drowning and suffering. I feel like my life has allowed for a lot more serendipity and um, joy and gifts. The more that I, Listen to the messages that are coming to me, and love myself, and be more in my experience.
0: The your dance performance in the documentary, where uh, and you're supported from behind by another yeah when we're dancer. On the floor. Mm-hmm on the floor and it reminded me so much of an Andean proverb that I love that says your future is behind you propelling you forward
1: Mm -hmm. and your past
0: is in front of you waiting for you to make peace with it and clear your way and the relationship in that dance of you and the other woman was so like really struck me like I felt like you were dancing that proverb I love
1: that oh my gosh I'm <laughs> totally gonna watch that piece differently now because I remember you telling me that during one of our sessions and it like just envisioning the, the piece and like that forward sort of falling motion that I do mm-hmm. it looks so different and has such a different poetry to it when you describe it with that proverb I love that
0: I have to say too, sobbing. Like, it was beautiful.
1: Oh oh good. I love making people <laughs> sob. <laughs> um, I have to say too, like I hope that this film brings a lot of awareness, you know, to people surrounding disability and disability justice. And I hope that people with disabilities feel seen and represented. Um I think that's another big reason why this film's so important to me is because I'm not just the subject of it. I direct, I co-directed it, um, with my partner, Daniel Klein, my film partner, Daniel Klein, who's amazing. Um, but it was, I think, you know, nothing about us without us is, is what, um, it's become a, you know, a slogan for inclusion and, um, equity and spaces for all people, but for people with disabilities. And I hope that people really can like feel that when they see this and start to want to um, try to be the change that we need.
0: Tell everybody how they can access the documentary.
1: So Move Me is streaming on the PBS video app right now. Um so if you just go to pbs.org slash move me. You can find it that way and watch it anytime on your app. Um, um beyond that follow us on Instagram at moveme movie um or on Facebook. And yeah I'm just I hope you all get to see it and I hope you like it.
0: Oh it is uh it is it is worth your time,
1: oh, absolutely
0: to to see it, and I encourage everybody to uh, to check in with your body, your own body, before and after you watch it, and see what's
1: mm.
0: what changes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because it takes you through a really uh, a really powerful physiologic. Uh, I'll just say like in my own nervous system expertise that I was like I was like oh this is really (laughs) I could really feel the whole um the the beauty and the tension and the stress and the uh you know um yeah it was all all the different things there and I certainly hope for all the uh you know, and it's i like. I'm sure that it already has, and will continue to, to do a lot to improve awareness, and may it also uh, get a lot of action and reward in the world too. That you know, to change people's behaviors and see things differently, and allow them to move through the world as beautifully as you do.
1: Mm, I'm trying every day thank you for saying that i appreciate it
0: well thank you so much for your time today kelsey it's always a delight to chat with you and we'll have to do this again oh my gosh
1: yes always a pleasure always enlightening and interesting with you
0: thank you for listening to the fearless presence podcast Text FEARLESS to 411-321 to take your first step into Fearless Presence. For international numbers and more information, including my free playbook, Six Steps to Fearless Presence, go to fearlesspresence.com. Be sure to subscribe for more inspiring stories and information to help you step into your fearless presence.